What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. This is episode lucky number 13. I am Joe Zakreski, joined by Eddie Kayazzo. Hi, Ed. How are you? Joe, I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Today, we got a fun one for everyone. We have a interview with the producer and one of the stars of Camp Twilight. Mm. Movie coming out on November 1st. We have actor Vernon Wells, legendary character actor Vernon Wells, and producer Rick Finkelstein. Oh, that's two. Two and one. Two and one. And maybe or maybe not. The movie stars they uh stars someone that we talked about on the very first episode. Yes. Maybe we'll hear her voice on it. I don't know. No. That's Felissa Rose. <laughs> but Camp Twilight does come out November 1st, and Felissa Rose is one of the stars. She is. So that was a pretty cool way to connect to somebody from, you know, the star of Sleepaway Camp in this movie. So we've, like, had her mentioned mm-hmm. twice really quick. So that's yep. cool. Anyway, we won't keep you, keep you long. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Rick Finkelstein and Vernon Wells. So very... Excited for Lucky episode 13 of yes. the Red River Horror Podcast because, well, this this will tie back to the first ever episode of the Red River Horror Podcast. We'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But right now, we are joined by Rick Finkelstein, producer of the new film Camp Twilight, comes out on November 1st. Rick, how you doing? Great, great. Happy to be here. Excellent. And also, Joe, I'm very excited about this, the legendary Vernon Wells. Yeah. Actor extraordinaire who was also in Camp Twilight. Vernon, how are you, sir? I am very well, thanks, guys. And that, seriously, sometimes I wish I was as good as the intros. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to chat a little bit beforehand, and uh, you showed a scene from where you currently were, and uh, I, I think I think that was a pretty good spot to be in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I kind of like where I live. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, how did everything start for Camp Twilight? Now, I've, I've actually got to see the film. Um, I know that the public will get to see it on November 1st. How did this process begin uh, with this film specifically? Well, you're gonna, it's just going to be a story probably no one else has ever heard before. Originally, I didn't want to do this project, and it was under a different title with a different director and writer from South Florida, where I'm from. But I was convinced to do it because I was going to get to go home, film, and quite frankly, my mom was going to get to see me have a movie set before she passes, and my family was going to get to, and I said, you know what? This could be awesome. We had issues with the script and all kinds of personal conflicts, and nine days prior to shooting... When everything was all set, hold on, this is Felissa. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Hey, Felissa, I'm <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, just go and click that link on the email and you'll be right in. <laughs> it's video? It's video and audio. Uh, the so just That's- click in, you'll only be audio. They only want to hear you anyways. <laughs> no, it's oh, cool. We're, it's that. just audio, so she's. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> All right, thank you. <clears throat> so, so that's so anyway, that's the punchline, everybody. So, just um, that, that was a little hint right there uh, as how that ties back to episode one. But Rick, please continue. So nine days 
prior to shooting, we threw out the script and my director, Brandon Amalot and Felissa Rose, <laughs> I, I said to them, guys, we need a script and it needs to fit everyone that's already hired because we're, we're on a plane in a few days. Those two wrote the script in a matter of a few days. We got the new script. Two days, Brandon wasn't the director at that time. Brandon was my line producer. Uh, two days prior, we couldn't deal with the director anymore. We fired the director and I asked Brandon to direct it. And so Brandon, I said, you wrote it with Felissa. No one's gonna know it better than you do. You direct it. And then while we were filming, we had an issue with our DP <laughs> and I had to fly a DP in overnight from California before letting the other guy know he was back up now. And that's in Florida? So, you couldn't find somebody in Orlando? You know what? When you're doing modified low budgets, you have to reach out to people you know. Because yeah. it really matters. And I got to tell you something about Vernon. Our budget was very low. And we needed help. And Vernon was such, there's a word in my, in my people called a mensch. Mm. Vernon is a mensch. <laughs> and Vernon stepped up to help us get him to be part of this movie. I just want you to know that. A lot of people think Hollywood stars are greedy and like that. And Vernon is all about the people in the project. Mm. And, and that's why I say the legendary Vernon Wells. And, I, and that was actually going to be my next question, Rick. Um, Vernon, how, how did you find your way into, into Camp Twilight? Because I, I got to be honest, when I watch a film like that, that's a slasher flick, like Rick said, low budget, and I see Vernon Wells attached to it, I'm like, oh, okay. It makes your eyebrows go up. So how, so uh, was, was this part written for you, or did you feel attached to um, it? Or It all came about because I did um, another film with Rick and with uh, Felissa, and while I was on that, we all got to know each other. And I mean, I've known Felissa forever and I, I adore the very ground she walks on. So it was, uh, and she rang me and said, uh, I'm doing this little uh, film up in Florida and we're going to put you on a plane and bring you up. Okay. And I went, Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> should I tell anybody I'm leaving? And she said, I don't care. So that was basically it. I just got on a plane and flew up and had a ball and loved the dog and met everybody. <laughs> there was a lot of people on it I knew. So, I mean, to me, I mean, Rick said something that's very true with what I do. I, I love working with people I like. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's at that point in my life where I don't need to go out and work every day. But when I work, I want to be around people I enjoy being with because – I'm stuck with them for sure. however long it is, whether it's a few days or a few weeks. So um, doing this film was just a lot of fun. I mean, I had a ball and I was playing a cop for a change instead of killing one. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was really good. And, and you know what? On the set, after a 12-hour day, we would all hang out in the lobby of the hotel and some, I don't drink, but some people, they would drink beer or wine. And we would sit and laugh and joke and make fun of people. And literally to work with someone for 12 hours and then spend another two or three, it just, this was really the reason for building a studio 
was when you produce films, it's not like being an actor. I don't get to be on set as often as they do. And being on set is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So I figured by making a studio, we're on set all the time. And we're surrounded by our family all the time. And, yep. and, and you know, and that's what it's all about for me. Yep. It's uh, well. They say that that um, acting, when you do a job, all the actors, the uh, players within the the film, everybody becomes a family yeah. because you have to be yeah. the the crew, the the actors. You all have to be able to rely on each other for what's going on because you know you, not all of us are, are, are lucky enough to be doing hundred million dollar movies. You know, so we have to rely on the fact that we're going to work with people who will have our backs no matter what. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about. I mean, that's what makes us do it, and that's what makes us enjoy it. I mean, I have, I have such an amazing time working. I just this is tooting my own horn for a change. <laughs> um, Please, I, I, I did a little film called Social Distancing, which was the first of its kind in the pandemic, and they shot everybody shot their own scenes from their house. Oh. And okay. We put it together, and I thought, you know, it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing it because you, you had we had three computers going. One was recording me. One I was looking at what the director wanted, and one the director was watching me. And it was a fun little project, and I enjoyed it. Lo and behold, it got into the New York Film Festival, mm -hmm. and guess who won Best Actor? You did. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good punchline. I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> but it's, it's, it, that's what it's all about. It's not about winning the award. It's about the fact that we were able to make this film yep. and then it goes out and starts winning awards. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's what the whole thing is, is, is you can then go, you know what, damn it, it was worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Well, I got some interesting information for you guys. Regarding Camp Twilight, mm -hmm. I don't know an exact number because we all know a lot of movie theaters are going under right now. Sure. But uh -huh. there is a distinct possibility that Camp Twilight will be in theaters across the country. Um, it could be, listen, it could end up with 10 or 15, but there's a shot for 100 plus theaters. Okay. Okay. And electronic billboards going up across the country for this that will run for four hours a day showing um, the movie. Oh, wow. So we're trying to make for, for during the pandemic, for a modified low budget to get all that, yeah. we're really happy with it. Hey, congratulations, mate. That's wonderful. Well, it's only because you're the best actor. <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, they slapped Vernon Wells on it, and it was like, okay, people will now go to the theater to see it. <laughs> no, uh, no. Um, Rick, that was actually one of the things with with some of the filmmakers and actors that we have been speaking with on the podcast. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that. It is I, I completely don't know the timeline and and how things work when releasing a film, but when I watched Cam Twilight, to me that had more of a like a summer feel, is there an opportunity to release that like in the next spring slash summer season in theaters? Well, they want to release it on Day of the Dead. We're releasing November 1st in like three oh, I weeks. Know. Yeah. And what happened is 
we made this movie, and at the time I had a partner, which I'm not going to go into because uh, we're actually related. <laughs> but we broke. We, we we made another. Vernon's dying laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. But we made more movies after this. Killer Rose, which is going to have a release similar to Twilight at Christmas. And then we made another movie, um, which he handled, um, called Stan the Man. The reason I'm telling you this is these last two movies were done a year and a half ago. And we weren't with them. And wow. um, Tri-Coast Distribution, who is also Dark Coast, they came in and they partnered up with us for the movie to do the post-production. And I don't know any distributors right now that are putting their own money into other people's movies, but they just did it into two of ours because they see where we're going. Yeah. You know, they, they launched a television channel called Dark Matters TV. Dark and TV. they saw this coming before COVID. They knew everything was going to streaming because last year at Cannes, everything hit the shits, you know, and, and, and the foreign territories still haven't recovered from it. And then they were planning to as we speak, but COVID hit. So they're in for the long haul and they're the ones that got us this release. You know, Strap Hamilton over there is um, he really makes magic happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to see how that it, that is the trend that everything's moving towards is more more you know, streaming and, you know, as as part of the release. I was told originally I was getting 10 to 12 drive ins and I was ready to throw a party. Yeah. Because I don't know if you guys know when we had Death House, we were set for 100 theaters. And then if we did well, week two, we got 500 more. And instead, we opened up against Black Panther and they dropped us to eight theaters. And, and, and I had to eat a shit sandwich for that one. And that was the one that was supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one to go up against for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, there was so much organic buzz. And I was actually going to get to Death House because there is a Philadelphia connection. To Death House. There it is. It's where we filmed in the prison in Philadelphia. Yes. Holmberg. So I was going to ask, what brought you to Phil? Like, how did you find Holmberg Prison? Harrison Smith. He's from Philly. What happened was, is I had a different director on Death House, and I wasn't happy with my director. And Mike Eisenstadt, he's an agent in town. He said, you got to meet this guy. And I went to the film premiere of... Zombie Killers, Elephant Graveyard, Billy Zane, D. Wallace. It was his movie. He introduced me to Harrison. And you know what? The next day, Harrison sent me an email thanking me for the meeting. And I was raised that you always thank people. You always send a thank you note. You all, And I was so impressed that he did that that I called him. We hit it off. And then he did Death House. And he did Garlic and Gunpowder. But we have a movie in the works that Vernon will be in. It's called The Dawn of Five Evils, which is the five evils from Death House, you know. And, and then we also have Death House to the farm. But Death House is still looking for its audience because of what happened. Right. It, yes, because I will be perfectly honest. I'll come 100% clean with you guys. I am a huge horror fan. That's the reason we do this, why we have RedRiverHorror.com. I have still yet to see Death House. And it's, it's on, on Netflix. It's free. It's on Netflix currently. Okay. Because mm -hmm. the thing is, my plan was 
I know as part of marketing that film, you could go to some of the festivals and the and the conventions and actually buy the movie, and the actors would then would sign yeah. the film. So like I had fully planned on doing that. I well, my I myself during that period, I was filming a television show for NBC Sports that took me all up and down the East Coast. I was driving to Jacksonville to Myrtle Beach. I was. Uh, it was a period of time for me that I didn't get to partake in that moment, and I really mm -hmm. wanted to. Um, well, what happened, though, was we won, like, three awards with the movie, and we had a chance to take it up and down and win a dozen awards at Explet, but I was told at the time that if I do that, I won't get the theatrical release that the movie needs because it'll be pigeonholed to being a low-budget horror right. that I should wait, take the 100 screens, do the numbers and then get 600 screens. And then that happened. So it was just, it was, and then Hanover, you know, was the distributor and they didn't honor anything. And I had to leave them. And that's when Tricoast brought in Cleopatra and Stoney and everybody was loving it. You know, listen, I still stand behind that movie. It just, needs to you know it needs its audience it needed that rock there yeah. there was definitely a troubled um uh, like distribution fit because that should have been that should have been the pinnacle for horror movie fans and vernon a uh, question for you with yeah. with the films that you've been in have you ever seen like something that was so surefire like death house was kind of go down that path of this like long it's like, okay, it's coming out this period, then it's not coming out. And it's coming out later, and all these things are going to happen, the screens. Like, have you ever been a part of another film that, uh, that like Death House, in that respect? Yeah, it was called Road Warrior. Yeah. I'm in good company there. Yeah. Uh, Road Warrior went through hell. I mean, we were... Over in, in Asia, places like that, mm -hmm. everything was great. America didn't want it because they said that the first one, Mad Max, was a plop and they didn't want to bother to put it out. And then when um, Warner Brothers decided they would, they had to change the name. That's why it became Road Warrior. Everywhere else in the world, it's called Mad Max 2. And then when they brought it out here, they brought it out in like seven drive-ins or something. And, of course, it went on to become one of the most played fucking movies in the world. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I mean, it just never stops. But it's the same thing. And sometimes I think filmmakers should be allowed to be in control of distribution because, you know what, they're the ones that understand what the effing movie's about. All these pissant money grubbers that are in the top offices that say, no, we're not going to bring it out because of this, that, and the other thing have no effing clue. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. And it even works that way with television. I'm sitting right now. I have... Five television shows. Three of them are true crime, and I can't get someone at Netflix to talk to me to present them, and they need content. I literally have a hitman who is in prison right now, Vernon. He's serving his 24th year in prison for multiple counter-murder ones. He texts me nonstop from illegal cell phones in jail three times a week to get his story out there. He was tied to Whitey Bulger. Ooh. I, I, mean, I, have, I have the next Game of Thrones that would cost less than $40 million for a season. 
But if I can get in front of the, anybody who can get me in front of the Netflix person that will look at all five of my shows will be my co-executive producer. I just can't get in there for some reason. Well, now I know, I know what I'm doing with the rest of my time. What? There you go. We're going to get him on the Netflix. All right. Every one of these shows has spinoffs. But let me get back yeah. to Camp Twilight. Sure. Yeah. The, the six kids were great to work with. Mm -hmm. One especially, Cougar McDowell. He was the guy that no matter what you needed, if you need to shoot someone with a real stun gun to get the shot, he volunteered. If you needed him to crawl through, this kid did everything from drive our truck across country to run like in shorts, barefoot through the woods at night, anything we asked. And the kids were really wonderful to work with. Nice. That's great. Dave Sheridan was hilarious. You know, he shows up in character and just acts like the goofy park ranger mm -hmm. the whole time. <laughs> That's great that they like can't willing to, you know, go above and beyond and participate and be, you know, be immersed well, and be a part of it. You know, it's and then he, and he had the beard and all that. Then he showed up at my next movie. He played a killer and he showed up completely in a different character with a crazy like beard. Thing. I mean, like he really gets into it and stuff, just like Vernon. These are people that really study their craft. Like, I'll tell you something, Felissa. Felicia's been my friend forever mm -hmm. since since death house. But I never saw Sleepaway Camp until about six months ago. Okay. Oh, really? I know she's a great actress, but we were there. She has an eight-page dialogue in the movie where she is in tears and she is sweating. It is, I'm getting chills talking about it. I saw her do this dialogue five times. She never messed up a word. She never didn't come through 100%. The only reason they kept redoing it was because other people in the scene. She gave, it was Meryl Streep couldn't have done a better job with that dialogue at that time. And that was the craziest part. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, I tell her I need help serving the food and she's right there helping me do that. You know, she was part of the production team on that, you know, and she's part of the studio and all that stuff as well. You know, it's just, it's a big project. You know, my wife, Karen, is probably an unsung hero. You know, she does a little bit of every job on set. Usually, usually doesn't even get credits. This time, she's actually getting the credit she deserves on the movie. You know, my daughter came aboard as the production coordinator, Kelsey, and it's really, you should see, we have a, a book about Entertainment Factory. It's a, hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really neat. I mean, especially with, like, people being that it's a uh, big part of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You see that? Look how thick this book is. This is a book on all the accolades of Entertainment Factory from all of our movies. Because I got to tell you something. There's a quote that I said that the business of making movies has little to do with making movies. Hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, because it, it, it's who, how you get it through. And on these budgets, it's way easier to make a $10 million movie because you throw money at the problem. But yep. when you make... $600,000 movie for $350,000. You don't have any money to throw. And that's why everybody's doubling up and working as a team because they have to. They got to love it. It's got to be what they do. And it has to be a safe bet. 
You know, none of this Harvey Weinstein bullshit. No physical. I give a speech day one that if anybody intimidates or causes anyone a problem, they or the problem will be gone immediately. Mm-hmm. Because it's important. these actors give their lives and they bring everything to us. And sometimes we ask them to do it for $150 a day, guys, on a modified low budget. And they give the same performance they would get that these actors that get 100000 a day get. Mm-hmm. So okay, then... Down. Go ahead, no, Vernon. I'm pissed. Now I'm pissed. Who got the $150, you son of a bitch? Just kidding. Um, no, I, I mean, you know, it's it's that same old thing that I think we forget what this business is. It's called entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what it's about. It's to entertain people. And you know what? To just be in it and to be part of it. And I always say to people when I'm teaching, if you get hired for something, I don't give a shit who you think you are. When you walk on that set, it is your job to be 100% on and it's your job to be able to walk around that set and be polite and nice to everybody. And when you get to the producer, if you can't give him a blowjob, kiss his feet. (laughs) <laughs> because that's how you got the fucking job. But it always amazes me. I see these kids. I've worked with one. Oh, God. And honest to God, he, he just, he was so up himself, number one. Mm-hmm. Thought he was the end of all movie making. And he drove everybody insane because... He had this attitude that the film couldn't be made without him. Hmm. <laughs> and so he could cause all the problems he wanted and no one could fire him. And it was like, I don't know who the hell put that idea in your head, but seriously, someone needs to take them aside and kick their ass and then kick yours. Because it's just, it's, you know, be grateful. God damn it. I love this business. Every time I'm hired, and at the moment it seems to be every other fucking day, but <laughs> I don't give a shit. If I say yes to a project, as Rick knows, that's the end of it. I don't I don't quibble. I don't walk around going, oh, fuck, you brought me out in the middle of the Florida swamps. I said yes, and that's the end of it. I am there. I do my job. I'll do whatever you ask, and I'll do it 150%. And Vernon's not lying. Literally on the other side of where we were filming were the Everglades. We saw one day of filming. I have a picture. You can see my hands. It was a cat print this big of a Florida panther. Wasn't there the day before. It was there the morning we were filming. Wow. Oh, man. That had to be hot. Yeah. It's, I grew up in South Florida, though. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to it now that I live in California for Almost six years, I go back and I do nothing but complain about the heat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we would love to do a sequel to this movie. We've always talked about it. Plus, I want to go back and film back at home again. Yeah. And I got to tell you, that park we filmed in didn't charge us for a single thing. Not to put our trailers not to use their buildings, not to use their pool area, not to be on there 24 hours, not for a permit, not to disrupt anything. They let us film for free. That would have added $300,000 
there and a half a million in L.A. to a budget. That's another reason why we did it. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah. Markham Park. Markham Park in Broward County, Florida. It's a great place to go. You go hang out. You can, like, paddle boat. It's just a real cool place. When I was in high school, we used to go there for concerts and have little cookouts and stuff. Hmm. No, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I have to ask just because this is one thing that freaks me out. What was what was the nastiest critter you saw on set being there? Uh, the first morning, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vernon, you're, you're, you're an Aussie, right? Yep. So I can't imagine anything in Florida scares you as far as bugs, snakes, uh, anything like that. <laughs> nah, they're all they're all friendly and you know you you look after them, they look after you. I mean, it's it's one of those things. I I don't get pissed about anything. Um, my wife is Buddhist, so you know I have to pick up the spiders that come into our house and take them outside because she won't let me squish them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm used to the fact that everything has its own place and its own time and that. And um, and I just love animals because that's I was born on a farm, grew up on a farm, so that's still my DNA. And, and as Rick was saying, with, um, with Sh- Shaman, with the dog, with the Alsatian, the minute I saw him, I was straight over <laughs> to him to, to just cuddle him and give him a big pat because I'm drawn She's a girl. Sorry? She's a girl. All right, so she, he, who cares? It's a dog. You can be anything you want nowadays. It's all good. That's true. Hey, I don't want to pick her identity. No, I'm just kidding. But ask Felissa. It's a sleepaway camp. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know that? I said to her, I said, I've known you for five years and never knew you had a dick. (laughs) It's literally right there on my shelf. I have it up on my shelf. My office is my office is a showroom of our movies. There's something from every movie set. I have the machete from Sleepaway Camp. Hold on, is <laughs> up in my wall with blood coming out of the wall. Oh, get out of here! Look and at then that. That's from from Sleepaway Camp right there. So, yeah, I, oh, you want to see something cool? Look at this. Hold on. It's my head in a jar. <laughs> Jesus, Rick. Yeah. My wife, and that's from Area 407. So, um, yeah, my wife hates that thing. Roy from Soda FX made a thing of my head and put it in a jar for me. <laughs> God. Um, well, you seem to be pretty candid. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was, Wondering, <laughs> who's the most difficult person you've worked with? I'll leave now. <laughs> um, huh. Well, at first, Paul Servino and I butted heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we worked together and it was great. And then we butted heads. And we butted heads so hard that when we made up, we were like we were both in tears and we were family. Yeah. So, that was just because he, when he's doing his craft, you can't talk, you can't do anything. He takes it more serious than anyone I've ever met in my life. But um, the hardest person I've ever had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, he delivers too. So I mean, guy's a terrific actor. So, but hey. um, wow, Paul's 
Paul's uh, good fellas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Paul. You know what? We've all been fine. Usually my problems are somebody that's an extra or somebody that you know it, it, it thinks they belong more than they do. Yeah. Everybody's been really gracious. They really have. I mean, even someone like I got to tell you, Lindsay Hartley, who is a pleasure to deal with. She's one of the five evils. You look at her IMDb, she's got like almost 2,000 episodes. She's a soap opera queen. She had like no lines in the movie, and or very little, but she's a big part of Dawn of Five Evils because it's about how the five evils, how the one, her female evil, met up with the other four men male evil. Yeah. And so, but it was just like, even Vivica Fox, when Vivica was on my set, she walked over to my trailer with a handful of greasy bacon in her hand, no napkin, put it in my hand and said, this is for Shaman. This is Vivica Fox. She's an A-lister. She's out there. Yeah. And she was like that. And she was on our set. We did a movie. She filmed for one day. And uh, she invited Shaman into her dressing room. The girl doing her makeup is petrified of dogs. This German shepherd is up on Vivica. And this woman is trying to do her hair while she's shaking. <laughs> I had to take her out of the trailer. But it was like, I really haven't had. You know what? Some actors have talked. I've had an actor talk crap about me on Twitter when mm. they didn't realize it wasn't private. Okay. <laughs> and, and I won't mention Michael Perret's name. And uh, and he said some things because I had just used him and then I didn't use him in my next production. So I'm a dick because of that. You're and, damn and, right. That's not fair to like assume that you'll get another job just because you work together like the one time. You know. You know, I mean. And he was great. Listen, we had every, how sweet it is. My mm. first, one of my first gigs was a full-blown musical comedy about the mob with all original musicals. That's cool. That's really cool. It's called How Sweet It Is. It's a mobsicle. A mobsicle. <laughs> Paul Servino, Joe Piscopo, Eddie Griffin, Willie LaMarty, um, Michael Perret, uh, Erica Christensen, and Eric Bergen. I gave him his break in that movie, and because of that, he landed Jersey Boys movie and a recurring role on Madam Secretary. Oh, that's awesome. And Jonathan Slavin from that played the crackhead, and he landed Speechless, Dr. Ken, and Santa Clarita Diet. <laughs> so, sorry, I get rolling. No, no, that's cool to hear, like, all the, you know, people got these opportunities after working with you. That's a, that's a wonderful that's thing. Fine. Vernon said something, and I get asked by actors a lot of times to give them one piece of advice. And my advice is, if you don't have a gig to do when you're asked to work, take the job. Because mm -hmm. you, you, you don't know who they know. Yep. Their friend that they're going to show a clip to could be the head of Netflix, could be Bezos, could be somebody you don't know. Yep. And it's all sort of practice your craft and make connections. Mm -hmm. You yep. know? That's that's so that's what I always say. Uh, yep, it's the truth, it's, and it's like it has me laughing here talking about like going like one hundred and fifty percent when you're on set. Mm -hmm. So we we've made a short. We're hopefully doing another short, but in in that between time, I got cast in a 
uh, local like indie film. And I don't think it's going to get released. I haven't heard anything. It's been a little over a year and it's been in post. But this one scene I was in, I had to get slapped in the head. So it's like an interrogation. I'm like, all right, well, let's do it. We did probably about 15 to 20 takes of me getting hit. <laughs> so it's like, you know, hopefully something, hopefully it gets released at some point. Well, you want it to be worth it. I want slapped in the I head. Wanna, if I'm going to get hit in the face, I want it to be worth my while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 that's funny because I don't know why, but I have this reputation which intrigues me immensely, that people don't want to piss me off. And I'm, I'm like the most lovable, big, bloody, cuddly teddy bear in the world. But at the, I, I remember working with this director and he's standing there looking at me and I'm, I'm trying to sort of scene out in my head. So I'm, I'm sort of in space somewhere and I'm thinking, you know, how do I make this work? And then I'm sort of coming up with ideas. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can make that work. And he's just staring at me. And I sort of looked at him and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, what did you want me to do? And he went, nothing, nothing. You do whatever you're doing. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I want everything you do. And I swear to God, he backed up six feet. And I'm like, and I'm walking towards him going, no, no, no. Seriously, <laughs> you just tell me what you want. And he's backing up. And I thought, oh, dear. That's a problem sometimes. But people get a little wary, and I, I guess it's the kind of films I do, and they, they yeah. tend to get this uh, thing that if you play those characters, you are that character. Sure. And it's, it's, it's funny because I look at it the other way around. I always look at it. I remember when I was young, when I first started in this business, talking to uh, someone on a set, a very famous director in Australia, and... Uh, I said to him, you know, how do you think all my my stuff with Wes is going to work out? And he said, well, so you probably figured out who the famous director was. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, he said, let me put it to you this way. Every villain is actually the hero because every villain thinks that what he's doing is the right thing. He considers the hero to be the villain because the hero is trying to stop him from what he's doing in what he thinks is right. Hmm. And I went, what the fuck? <laughs> but when I thought about it, I went, you know what? He's right. That the way a villain works is that the villain is not a villain. The villain is somebody who's trying to do something. Now, in his mind, that something is the right thing. And then this asshole comes along who wants to stop him doing it. So in his mind, now that asshole becomes the, the villain of the piece, so he has to get rid of him. So there you have your conquest between the two, yeah. villain and hero. Right, yeah. It's kind of simple. It's hey, guys, when I met Vernon the first time, I told him about my friend John in Florida, who's a huge fan of Vernon. <laughs> and Vernon called him up. I had just met Vernon and did the scene from Weird Science over the phone about you can't even take a shower with a beautiful woman. And he, the guy answered the phone and Vernon did the entire scene. <laughs> this guy was jaw dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the cool thing. Actually, do you guys do um, the convention circuit at all? Do you ever get out to meet the fans face to face? Well, yes. 
Vernon, yeah, Vernon has to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, Before COVID nineteen, I was out a lot. I get to do all the big conventions, which is really cool. Because I, I love, you know, I always say that the only reason I'm anything or, or any way with who I am is because of the people that come to watch what I do, mm-hmm. and because they enjoy what I do, therefore they come to it, or they buy the the, the DVD, or they do the download. That's what keeps me in business. So my responsibility to them is to get out there and be nice enough to say, hey, what the fuck's going on in your life? Um, and just have a lot of fun with it. There's a story that goes around that's actually true, unfortunately. Anytime I do a question and answer at a convention, they have a bet that how long it will take to go from me talking about a film I've done to sex. The longest it's ever taken is 45 seconds. <laughs> So you can imagine what our Q&As are like. They get a little raunchy, but it's a lot of fun because that's what they come there for. They don't come there to see some stuck-up, bloody Hollywood wannabe actor. They come there to see someone who's down on their level, having fun, enjoying himself, and loving what he does. That's the whole point. You know, I wish I got to go to that. I went to one – my first one was in Kentucky, Day of the Dead, when we released the Death House trailer to the public. And then I've been to a few since then, but you know we're gonna try to host one at the studio when we have it. We want to launch a really cool, you know, event and have something like that there as well. Yeah, you would have to have to keep us posted on that. I'm I'm very I'm guessing is this in the works? I mean, obviously it'll be it'll happen after COVID and all these restrictions have stopped. Well, hold on, more show and tell. Uh oh. <laughs> now it's like with the show and tell part. I wish now we had a video it. set up for it. I know. We'll have, we'll have to take some. We got to get I'm this gonna, into a video podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send you guys a swag bag. These are for the studio. Oh, look at that. Thank the you. Bag. That's nice. That looks nice. Inside the bag are t shirt, hat, frisbee, water bottle, coffee mug, carabiner, headlamp, <laughs> stretch ball, and a pen. Okay. And then I also have umbrellas, but they they're hard to send because you got to put them in two FedEx tubes. Yeah. But I will send you guys a bag for this. We plan to have the building by March and definitely to be open by June first. Wow. Okay. And it's nice. called Excess Studios, and our tagline was stolen from Scarface, and it's Excess Studios. Nothing exceeds like excess. Ooh, I like that. And. Mm. I got to tell you, we have affiliated ourselves with a company called OxyTime, and they're a hydrogen peroxide-based cleaner Mm. that keeps kills things so people can stay safe. But instead of Clorox, you don't have to wipe it down or let it sit. You literally can spray a school bus from back to front and load kids, and they're going to house their hub at our studio. So anytime you film in excess, or you rent any trailers or trucks or equipment, it will all come sprayed down and clean. You won't have to arrange for that. It's hard enough to put all the moving parts to make a movie that if you have to add uh, the safety as well, you're going to take people away from their job. So we want to offer them 
a safe place to film. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Hey, that's a great partnership, um, guys. Yes. Uh, now, now that Rick's shown us everything he's got on his walls, I thought that <laughs> I should actually show you a couple of little things. Um, this is something my wife got for me. Okay. Oh, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Why don't I see it? Oh, I see it. Yeah, Did you see it? Yeah. yeah. And this this will this will blow you away. After my mother passed away, I got these, and I put them up on my wall. Oh, my gosh. When is that from? Those look like they're 200 years old. <laughs> How old are those pictures? Uh, oh, they got to be uh, 100 years old. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I was... I was uh, about three months old in the little baby one, and I yeah. was six six years old in the one with the long blonde hair holding the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, Vernon, can I ask you something just because I'm curious? Like, because you've done the convention circuit, and it, it, there's that subgenre. It's like we liked it when we were kids, but a lot of people follow Power Rangers still pretty loyal. Do you still get wrecked? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, is that is that a common oh, yeah. uh, f- fan base that comes to find you at the uh, convention circuits? It, it, it's actually interesting. I mean, if I just do one of the, the conventions, usually it's Mad Max, Commando, Weird Science, yeah. Inner Space, all those, <laughs> and a lot of other stuff that I've done. But if, if I get asked to go to one of the uh, conventions for Power Rangers... Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to ask what Those was the most unique. Those are a little bit weird at times. <laughs> I can imagine that being strange. But you know what's funny about that is when I first got the the role of Rancic, mm-hmm. he actually wasn't in the series. The girl that played my daughter was actually the lead villain in the show, but. Hmm. But they decided that they needed to go back to having a male as a villain because having female villains wasn't working with the kids. Right. So they wrote the character in. When the writers found out they had me doing it, they started right because my sense of humor, as Rick knows, and you guys have probably figured out, it's just a little out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started writing scripts where I walked this fine line of being appropriate for nine-year-olds and, and, and seven-year-olds and very appropriate for mum and dad. So I walked this really fine line. We used to have this joke that at some stage some mother had to walk through the lounge with her son sitting watching or daughter watching Power Rangers, mm-hmm. look at the screen and suddenly go, oh, my God, and switch the television off instantly and, and get the kid out of the room and ring up and go, what are you people trying to do? Because we were so close. We did stuff as a joke that actually got onto it. There's a scene in it where my daughter comes up to me and she's got a finger, holding her finger up, and she goes, Daddy, the mean Power Ranger broke my nail, my fingernail, and I say, oh, Daddy will fix that for you, sweetheart. I put her finger in my mouth and start sucking it. Huh. Which is very, um, <clears throat> it okay. was a joke. Yeah. It's in the effing series. Yeah. It, oh, my God. That, that made it in? Um, 
Oh my God, why can't I think of it? Gunnar Hansen. Yeah, oh, Gunnar was Gunner. my great friend. Loved yeah. Gunnar. So let me tell you a story. Gunnar Gunner's the reason why Vernon and I became friends was because Death House was brought to me by Gunnar Hansen. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he tried to get it made and could make it. And he called me up one night and asked me to promise to him that I would make sure I'd do whatever to get this out. And he told me that he was sick and he wasn't going to probably make it. And I told him I'd like to write him a letter how he impacted my life. I would send it to him on Monday and he died the next morning. Oh, like wow. He was holding on for my promise. But Gunnar told me a funny story that, you know, the scene when they suck on the finger in the movie, um... Why can't I think of the name of his movie? Texas Chainsaw? <laughs> when they put the finger, well, yeah. in this scene, they had a knife that had the, that pumped blood out, and they were in the woods, and I forgot who the female co-star was, but it was so cold that it kept coagulating and freezing up, and it wouldn't work, yeah. and they wanted to go home, and there was tape over the blade part. When no one was looking, Gunner took the tape off the sharp part, so it actually cut her finger a little. They got the blood, called rap. It was an end of night. He thought she knew what he did. 20 years later, they were at one of these conventions and they were on a panel and he told the story and she first heard it, that he did it and got pissed off and stormed off the panel. Get out of here. <laughs> 20 years later, I forget her name, but I was like, oh my. He goes, Rick, It was we were seven hours over and we were delirious all we needed was the blood to be between the finger and that and that was the only way to do it i was like oh my if a producer does that you get in trouble sure but the actor get away with it yeah yeah because we're all dumb shits <laughs> so, i think you guys are the smart ones oh no we um well yeah yeah, Vernon is. I was gonna say we're yeah, just yeah. we're just behind a microphone. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, sometimes that's a safe place to be. <laughs> no, it's not too bad. But that's why I had to ask about Power Rangers. So I had a different show a few years ago where we we got to interview uh, uh, Jason David Frank. Yes, we did. You know, he was the original Green Ranger. So. It's like I didn't want to ask him too many questions about Power Rangers fans because that's his, that's his yeah. thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, there's a doggy. <laughs> Shaman. That's the most favorite dog there is. Speak. speak. Hey, baby. Here, Shaman, speak. <laughs> that was it. That's it. But you want to know what's funny? When she's on set, it was hot. She was lifting her feet up. The minute the director calls action, she stays in her spot. I swear to God, she even did another one at bench. Does her scene the minute she says cut, she runs off. Like she huh. knows what action and cut are, and she will in an upcoming movie called Addiction. She's gonna rip someone to shreds, and she's gonna walk into this small white corridor and shake off in slow motion, and the blood is just gonna just cover everything. That's gonna be her big kill scene. She's been working with her trainer for it. <laughs> I, so I have to ask, so Camp Twilight, coming out November 1st, we're speaking with Rick Finkelstein, yeah. producer, Vernon Wells, actor in the film. So we, when we bring on talent to the show, because we have a running tab, Rick, I'll ask you first, 
favorite movie that you've produced and then your favorite horror movie. Okay. That could be First from of all, my favorite movie of all times is Pulp Fiction. Okay. okay. What's uh, your favorite, favorite horror, horror movie? Horror movie is between two. The Exorcist and Devil's Rejects. Okay. Nice. Very and yeah. I want you to know Devil's Rejects has like eight stars in it. Mm. And um Death House has twenty horror stars. We were supposed to get a Guinness World Record for most horror icons in a movie, and the Guinness took our thousand dollars and we still haven't got the record. Oh. Mm. But That's... my favorite movie that I've done. Uh-huh. Death House. Okay. Death good, House. Good choice. Being in the prison was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, being in the prison. But the best camaraderie I've had on set and the best time with crew and cast on set, PM Twilight by far. Wow. Okay. You know, That's I strong. had different crews on Death House, Philly crews and Florida crews. This, we had everyone there. We brought mostly everyone with us. We hired some locals, and we brought the beef. That one was my best experience. All right. Yeah, very cool. So, Vernon. I want to hear better. Favorite film you've acted in, and then your favorite horror film of all time? Favorite film I've acted in? Uh, well, that's, 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 you know what? Every one of them, but um, that's why I do them. I guess if I had to say a favorite, I did a, a film quite a few years ago called Circle Man, which was about a um, retarded boxer. Oh. Hmm. Um, some, uh, well, he was a retarded, um, he was like a little kid in a big body, and um, he was a boxer. He was used. And uh, that I loved. I loved the film. I loved the whole whole process of making it, the whole thing. It just... Um, and it's actually out on the internet now because you couldn't find it for about twelve years. But it's it's um, all over the place. You can um, stream it now. It's one of my favorite movies uh, that, that I've acted in. My favorite horror movie. Hello, my wife just fell in the toilet or something. I'm not sure. Oh no! <laughs> she's, she's yelling in the other room. Um, my favorite uh, horror movie, I guess. Oh, crap. I just did a, a film which I really loved uh, called Jack Be Nimble, okay. which is based on the Jack and the Beanstalk mm-hmm. theory where I, I'm actually in a wheelchair. I play Jack in his old age. Um, and that's a horror film. It's really very good. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd say that one I really loved. Um, I loved playing um, Death House. And yeah. one of the the five evils, and I love the backstory for my character, and I hope to God we do the sequel because I love the character. We will. Um, but, you know, everybody expects me to say Road Warrior or Commando or, or, uh, or something. Um, I, I did a little, it's, it's actually 20 minutes long. It's called Fear of the Woods. Go online if you, if you, can and look it up. It's called Fear of the Woods. It's, we shot it over in in Sweden um, last Christmas, actually. 
And it's basically the 25-minute opening to a film. They're putting the film together at the moment. And it's about a uh, nine-foot grizzly and me, my brother and my son. And um, in the middle of the uh, snow up to our midriff, trying to uh, kill this animal or not be Hmm. killed. And it's one of the most amazing things to look at the shot they have the most... The DP has won 12 awards. He's just the most amazing Swedish DP. It was all shot in Sweden. Cool. And the other two people that worked with me in the film were just brilliant. I mean, absolutely fucking brilliant. The director was wonderful. And the bear, well, it's a pain in my ass for most of the movie, but, um, you know, <laughs> it worked out all right in the yeah. end, I guess. That would probably be something that I really, really like. And, of course, I would have to say that my time in um, Campy Twilighty <laughs> is, uh, you know, who, who's, who's pushing for another job? Love Camp Twilight. Man, you know, one of the most amazing movies I've ever done. Sure. Um, you know, <clears throat> wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, no. I actually had a lot of fun doing it. And um, it was a lot of fun to do, and I would do it over in a, in a heartbeat. Oh. All right, and that's what we are talking about today on the Red River Horror Podcast, Lucky Number 13, producer Rick Finkelstein, actor Vernon Wells, Camp Twilight. Mm-hmm. Joe, did you have any other questions? I do not. I'm just more laughing when we, I looked up the uh, <clears throat> the uh, Fear of the Woods. It's just like the first caption up up, so it's like, Vernon Wells hunts a monstrous bear. And then underneath it, Vernon Wells versus bear. Fear of the woods. <laughs> so that's all the headlines? Yeah. Felissa texted me. She's in Death Valley and she's not getting reception. She apologized and she'll make it up to you guys. No, oh, yeah. no, no problem at all. It's, it's so that the connection to, to give you the punchline, the connection to the first Red River Horror podcast. This is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Joe started so redriverhorror.com is a site it's a horror news site um we have stacy lane wilson that is a great movie critic out uh, in la she does great movie reviews for the site we also have some more in-depth pieces some anniversary pieces like with Candyman, final destination so during quarantine joe and i have gone back and started watching films mm-hmm. and he said the next logical step for the site is to create a podcast so, Joe, how do we how do we figure out the topic of episode one? So I did a little was about eight minute intro thing that I released with a poll of pick the first uh, topic that we're going to cover. And I put out three movies and it was Friday the 13th, Jaws and Sleepaway Camp and Sleepaway Camp ended up winning our poll. So our very first episode was a deep dive into Sleepaway Camp. Which stars, of course, Felissa Rose. Rose. So so it's like, you know, yeah. And then it's like when he, when Eddie mentioned, it's just like, oh, Felissa Rose might jump on the call. It's like, oh, we're only 13 episodes. Like, yeah, right. That'd be so cool to be like, hey, you were the topic of our first, uh, (laughs) our very first show for this site. I was going to say the only reason Rick and Vernon are with us is because they are promoting Camp Twilight film. Mm -hmm. That's, that's why we were able to get them so early on. Yep. But it's funny when you think of that poll, you know, Jaws, which is 
arguably, I mean, not I, I've still Joe will kill me. I've still never seen it, but it's arguably one of the scariest movie moments of all time, scariest films that they talk about. Friday the Thirteenth is an iconic, well past cult hit. Sleepaway Camp is a cold hit, and it destroyed those two in the poll, what people wanted to hear about in the very first episode. <laughs> hey, go to any of these festivals and go to Felissa's booth, and there will be people in line wearing tattoos of her on them. I believe it. Dressed up as her. It was crazy. Yeah, I believe it. And, and that's... What was funny is we said, okay, you know, we now that we've launched the podcast, we talked about Sleepaway Camp for about an hour. That was episode one. Felissa was actually coming to a drive-in near us called the, it actually right near Harrison Smith, the Mahoning Valley Drive-In. That's right up the road from, we're in Philly. If you go up the Northeast Extension, it's just one of the exits, the Lee Heighton about exit. About an hour and a half away. Yeah. Yeah. So Felissa was going to be there, and Joe and I are like, all right, well, now that we've done episode one, we've kicked it off, we've we got the podcast rolling, maybe we should go up and try and, you know, meet meet Felissa, get a picture, do some promo for the podcast. Well, it was sold out. <laughs> yeah. Completely. So we we, they, we couldn't do that. <laughs> Great. You know, when we filmed in Pennsylvania, it was cool for me because my son was going to Penn at the time. Was he? Okay. Over and see us. And one of my daughters was living in Boston. So she drove in and saw it was nice. Wow. You know, we like to encourage, we try to have a family vibe, but put out uh, an industry product. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's cool. Yeah. You could tell the way people rallied around Death House, like the organic fan base that grew from that. You, you could tell it was something special, it was something different. From these, like, like it's like you said, anyone can throw ten million dollars into a production and say, "Okay, we're going to make a great horror film because we have the budget to do so." Like, like when they made the Blumhouse Halloween, it's like, all right, if this is bad, they have serious problems, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's crazy. But that is, and and that's what Camp Twilight felt to me. It is, it did feel like everybody was in. On that yeah. production, it's it felt organic feel. It, it flows. It, it's really a great. It's really I like it. It's it, there's a lot of you know uh, slasher type moments. It's like you know your '80s type of slasher, mm -hmm. but there's twists, and it's not just standard. You know, you know the story because the back when you find out the backstory on the whole thing, and it's it's set up beautifully for. A sequel. We also have a young actress in it. Her name is Chalet Brannon, and she recently did is I think Tiger Lily. She's in a Peter Pan movie. She's in a Star Trek spinoff. This young girl is uh, I think she's 15 now. At 10, she started acting and had cancer. She's a cancer survivor. Wow. She's one of the strongest. She's a professional on set and she's 14 years old and she looks so much younger. And we had her come in and do some shots for Twilight and for Killer Rose. And this girl, she'll probably have her own show one day or a Disney thing or something. Look out for her. She's, you know, she's going to be a star one day. Really will be. Yep. And I can't, I can't give it away. You know, I can't, I can't speak anything because there'll be spoilers, but mm -hmm. no. 
Did you have a question? No, also? no, no. So what's what's the next step for Camp Twilight? So you said the theaters, the possibility of theaters, perhaps drive-ins. It'll be some. It'll be drive-ins and regular theaters within the next week. We'll know how many. You know, it could be anywhere from ten to a hundred plus. We okay. don't know. So we'll, because we don't know who's still going to be in business in three weeks. A lot of them are shutting down now. Mm-hmm. But it, it's going to launch on. Um, um, a bunch of sites as well and pay-per-view. You know, Dark Coast is taking the lead on this, you know, and that's Strat Hamilton or Tricoast. You know, they're the ones that brought Sony to Death House. Okay. So Cleopatra. So, you know, they're really good. They got the they have their finger on what's going on now. They know that it's streaming. They know it's certain actors. They know what sells foreign. You know, because here's the bottom line: no matter how good your movie is. Indies, if you can't sell it foreign, you won't make money. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't make enough money streaming. Everybody sees these things. Oh, Netflix paid this. Well, they're not paying us that money. Those <laughs> are protected originals and their stuff. Right. So if you can't sell foreign, you're just, you know, making paperweights. Right. Yeah. And Vernon, what's next for you, sir? Um, What's next for me? I'm doing a a thing called Southern Hard. It's actually a short, but it was requested by um, Robert Redford. Okay. Um, to do it, and um, it's uh, basically uh, about a northern, uh, sorry, a southern colonel who uh, gets into a firefight with northern troops and ends up being able to get to this cave he remembers from his childhood um, that he used to play in with this uh, slave girl whom he treated like absolute crap and he's been shot in the stomach and in the shoulder and he manages to get into it and uh, evade the troops and he collapses and passes out, wakes up next morning, realizes there's someone else in the cave with him and it turns out to be this slave girl. Huh. She's now grown up, of course. She's a mature woman in her uh, late 40s, early 50s, but she's escaped from the plantation and she considers herself to be a free woman. So the whole thing is basically between the two of them, her trying to understand why my character was what it was and me refusing to even admit that she's a free human being. To me, she's a slave. She's a chattel. She's no more interesting to me than the rock laying on the floor of the cave. And it's this wonderful, wonderful 25-minute short, which is brilliantly written, and uh, we're doing that. And I have been pushing this for two epping years, and finally we're doing the goddamn thing. Because I just... The whole message within what we're doing is amazing, mm-hmm. and it's loosely based on on the um, the African American lady that escaped from the plantation and started the Underground Railway mm-hmm. for slaves. Loosely based on that. Okay. So it's um, it's kind of um, an interesting, and I've got if this pandemic ever goes away, for goodness' sake, I've got five films that I've got to shoot. Right. <laughs> so a bunch in the hopper. So Rick, I mean, we'll put all the links up for people to find Camp Twilight. Yep. Um, if there's, we just got to make it as easy as possible for them in in uh, in post, as you can imagine. So, um, you'll have to send us all the information, and we will get it out there. 
Yeah, let me make a note of that. And then can you guys can you guys do me a favor? Can you send me this this thing once you're done with it? What we did? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Just Thank you. just understand. So I I come from the world of of radio broadcasting. Joe comes from the world of podcasting. So this is going to be unedited. So we're just we're, we're just rolling. I don't know if yep. you ever saw. Um, who's the the big one? Joe is Joe Rogan. Not the big <laughs> Joe Rogan. He just rolls. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we're just riffing. I mean, it's fun to have a conversation. It's been a great conversation right. with you guys here and everything. You you know your experiences and you know going back and forth. So no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. so don't expect the Hollywood polish. All right, it's just mm-hmm. us. All right, and listen, if you ever want me back <laughs> for King, uh, Killer Rose or any of the others, just let me know. I'd be honored. Yep, absolutely, for sure. So again, this is episode 13 of the Red River Horror Podcast. We are featuring the film Camp Twilight. Comes out November 1st, 2020. Make sure you check it out. Mm -hmm. Rick Finkelstein, producer, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Vernon Wells, actor extraordinaire. It's an honor, sir. Thanks for joining us. Uh, It was my pleasure, guys. I've had a bowl. Yes, thank you both so much for coming on. Thanks, Vernon. Thank you, Rick, for having me, mate. You got it. I'll stay in touch. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Uh, please do. Actually, I'll be sending you an email. I need to introduce you to somebody. You got guys, it. Guys, it's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, stay safe and be cool. You too, man. Me too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's our interview with producer Rick Finkelstein and actor Vernon Wells. We thank them so much again for coming on. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Eddie and I did. That is episode 13 of the Red River Horror Podcast. I'm Joe Zakreski. Keep traveling those channels of fear.